They called us monsters, so monsters we became. We are monsters out of the closet. Hello, Monster Mob. This is producer Shreya. I'm here and I'm interviewing folks from Familiar, the episode that you've hopefully listened to already, because if not, you're going to be confused. I have here with me Ari, who is the writer and constructor of the piece, and I have Nicole, who is one of the main voice actors of the piece. Say hello. Hi. Hello. Cool. We're talking about horror. So what is your idea of horror? Like what, either what scares you or how do you construct horror? How do you know that something you've written or something you've acted in is horrifying? I mean, it's difficult to define horror because horror means different things for everyone, as I'm sure just about everyone on this podcast has either said or knows. I mean, at the base of horror is scary and is fear and like some one person can be terrified of spiders while one person can just sort of be terrified of the ever encroaching darkness and loneliness that is existence so i think it depends on what kind of horror you're trying to write whether you're trying to write sort of just like jump scary ooh, what's around the corner or oh my god everything sucks existential horror. yeah what do you think you tend towards in your writing I I try to go more for the, the existential horror. It doesn't really always work, but I do also enjoy playing with the more fantastical and more supernatural elements. So, and also just the more like, ooh, jump, here's a jump scare just to keep up the suspense. Cool. Um, so I try to play with both, but I think I prefer more existential horror over just jump scares and like loud noises and bangs and crashes cool nicole yeah so i think for me a lot of horror is feeling cornered and feeling trapped in some way and like ari said that can take a lot of different forms and a lot of different shapes and i think what i really tried to bring to carmen uh, in this story was this sense of this she has a lot of anger like a lot of anger. And I think that that comes from feeling out of control of feeling like she doesn't have a way out necessarily. And that in and of itself can be scary and scarily, I think, relatable in a lot of ways, because if you just have a room full of spiders, to some people, that's like worst nightmare scenario ever. But you're not necessarily going to be able to draw a lot of ready parallels into your own life. And I think really good horror is what happens when you really can place yourself into that scenario. So the more parallels and lines you can draw between what's scary about the story and what you find scary about the possibilities of your own life, um, I think that's when horror can be most effective. And I agree with that. And the theme for this episode, which Carmen Deer is in, is familiar. And Nicole and I were playing around with a lot of different things for that. We were playing around, of course, with the concept of family, with something being familiar or unfamiliar to you, and with the sort of witch's familiar Mm -hmm. trope. And I think Carmen Deer fits that, I think, maybe in all three ways, even, right? There's obviously a family aspect to it with Carmen's relationship with her dad and what she finds out about her mom. Um, There's the aspect of something being familiar or unfamiliar to you. And I think Renito is also a little bit of a witch's familiar. In a way, yeah. Like, that's definitely one of the things I had in mind when cre- creating the the idea of Renito. 
I mean, there's obviously the comparison to Witch is Familiar, as you brought up, but it is something that is familiar. Like, it's, it's a, is a thing from her childhood, but it's also turned around in that, like, well, it's trying to attack her, basically. So. Yeah. Unfortunate when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> Nicole, what do you think about sort of this? I know you were talking about this idea of horror having to be something almost approachable to you, right? Something that you have to connect with in order for, for it to really dig deep and hook its claws into you. Do you think that, you know, with Carmen Deere and with horror, there's also something about turning the familiar on its head and making it mine? Yeah, for sure. I think that's a big reason why people are so freaked out by dolls or clowns. Mm. It's things from your childhood that when you put a twist on them, it's almost like an uncanny valley type of situation. I think when you when you hit the line between something that is like so close to being comforting and doesn't quite reach it, that's unsettling. And I think we also we're talking about different definitions of familiar. And for me, something that I really enjoyed and liked about working with this story and as Carmen specifically is that horror and like popular horror, mainstream horror is often super Western. Um, and like this is, it's like American, right? And there's that sort of aspect to it. But I am half Peruvian and I connect a lot with that side of, um, of me, of my identity and that piece of my culture. And I really enjoyed being able to play a character that felt familiar in that way to me because you don't get a lot of those opportunities either. I will also say on a similar note, I wanted to kind of keep this story when I was writing it. I kind of wanted to keep it location-wise and, like, geographically as vague as possible. Like, really, we're get given two settings. We're given a suburb and a city next to it, mm-hmm. which I feel like could be anywhere, yeah. really. And, like, I don't name any of the places specifically because I want people to sort of think of it as, well, this could be my city. Mm-hmm. And this could be the suburb just a few miles from me. And, like, I, on a, for a similar reasons... Um, I, you may have noticed I don't actually name Mariko until several minutes into the story, and that's because I sort of wanted to set up this character as someone that you get to know and become familiar with before you're given a name for her. That way you can sort of think of her as, well, this might this could be someone that like goes to my school or, or it lives in my neighborhood or that sort of thing, and then once you're introduced to her on that level, then you're given a name, and then you're given what she's like as a person apart from from that. And that's certainly something Nicole and I were trying to do with monsters, is make horror, you know, a place that people could identify with because it's not just a bunch of, you know, white teenagers in mm-hmm. a cabin in the woods, which is, you know, a specific setting, which has yeah. been overturned in some more recent pieces of media but specific settings specific people specific tropes that don't really apply to most of us out there and you know especially with identity in the lgbt community is what nicole and i were trying to light upon but you know especially for me as a person of color that's important to include in my pieces and the and the pieces that we receive as well Mm -hmm. and this is interesting for having both of our main characters be people of color that's something that I specifically wanted to to address. Like, I know that there's a long tradition in horror of 
everyone in the movie being white except for the person that you kill in the first 10 minutes. Yes. Um, and I specifically wanted to take that trope and say, well, I'm not going to have a single white person in the story at all. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm half Asian, so I wanted to sort of bring some of that with Mariko and then Carmen, of course. I don't want to say she represents the Latino community, but she is there as a member of it. Um, so I, I did sort of want to look at communities that are often marginalized in not only in horror, but in media in general. Um, because it's very rare in Western media that we have protagonists that are an Asian woman or a Latina woman. True. Um, and Without being horribly stereotypical. That's yeah. also true. And that's something I tried to stay away from as well. I found it interesting returning to what you were, to what you just said about not naming Mariko until you were about you know, 10 minutes into the piece because you wanted readers or listeners to get an impression of her before they heard her name. And I'm, and I'm thinking about how people feel, right? Just, just based on a name that's been racialized, right? And how they might start to envision a character or interpret their actions based on just their name, right? Even before you've gotten to the meat of the story. And I think it's interesting that you chose to, to, circumvent that Mm -hmm. by having people get their impression of her made before they heard her name and racialized her in their brain. Right. And that's something that I think really can only be done in an auditory medium or can especially be done in an auditory medium because if this were filmed, like you'd see her face and you'd immediately know, oh, this is, this is a person. I have an image of her in my head. Mm -hmm. But if you hear her voice, that's all you have to work with. And then you sort of have to fit your worldview around that until you get to a point where she defines herself further and then you have a better idea of, oh, this is what this is who I'm, I'm dealing with. Yeah, and talking about like letting characters define themselves, I think that works both ways. Um, because when we have like Carmen talking about herself, she doesn't introduce herself as like, I'm Carmen Ramos. Like right. it's Carmen. And that's that's her name. And I think that's it's really cool to you don't get that if people are just reading, mm-hmm. like especially because I'm sure a lot of people when they're just reading something aren't automatically going, oh, Ramos. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it's really cool to be able to have that be just how it is and have there's a sense of, of self-definition there as well. Of this is my name. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we're talking about names they are so important. And I think it's really cool to have that working both ways in this piece. Right, right. That not just, you know a name being something other people can define you by, but a name is a way that you define yourself, right? You know, are you giving your Starbucks name to people? Or are you giving, you know, your actual name? That's something that I have to struggle with because gosh knows people can't pronounce Shreya until the fifth time they've tried it. I also play Mind's Eye for those of you, those of you listening. Um, Spoiler alert, Ari does not really have an English accent. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we can talk about Mind's Eye. What is, what is going on with that? I mean, I, Mind's Eye, well, first of all, Mind's Eye is non-binary, I guess kind of by definition, um, as am I. So I guess Mind's Eye is interesting in a way because they are non-binary, but they're also non-human. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand or I, I've noticed a lot in, in media, especially like sci-fi and fantasy media, when characters introduce or when people introduce a character outside of the gender binary, they do often tend to be alien and or non-human in a way. Right. You get a lot of robots. Yeah. And a, or a lot of aliens that are like, oh, you human genders. Yeah. Haha. So interesting. Right. Um, 
So that there is something to unpack there as well, I think. And I mean, I did kind of play into that as well myself. But I think it's also interesting to have a character in such stories that are just so far removed from human experience that they just look down at it and say, oh, well, this is just kind of fun to watch and look at. Yes, I think that's fantastic. And I know that that's also something Nicole and I have discussed, that horror is sort of a genre that allows you to step outside very traditional like gender roles mm. or social strictures that are human because it has that element of the supernatural of being removed from normal society. And, you know, you can, I think you can play with that, right? Mm. And allow that to be like a springboard, which you use to you know, catapult yourself into to different ways of looking at gender, different ways of looking at sexuality and relationships. Um, and it's also, you know, traditionally been used to say, ooh, those people are the scary ones. And that's mm. that's why this is horrifying. So it, it goes both ways. Yeah. I guess it's also interesting that, like, mind's eye is not the horrifying element here. Mm-hmm. The horrifying mm-hmm. element is Renito. At the end of the day, the horrifying element kind of is family or the lack thereof. And mind's eye is just there to sort of help the story along and say, okay, here's what's going on. How are you going to deal with it? Like, Which... giving agency over to Carmen and Mariko Mm -hmm. um, rather than sort of having any part in that outside of just the the techno battle. Right, and that means that they're very aptly named. Yeah. That they're, you know, a lens or a focus, your mind's eye, Mm -hmm. rather than being, you know, like Valak the Defiler or some some other terrible (laughs) demon name. (laughs) Nicole, how do you think that, you know, we play with identity being horrifying or different or you know alienated almost in some way like how how do you negotiate that in horror yeah so while Ari was just talking I was reminded of an article that I read recently that's called homophobia without homophobes um, Mm -hmm. which digs really deep into homophobia in the 21st century and these ideas of like various campaigns like the it gets better campaign and how there is the intrinsic assumption that like if you could choose not to be lgbt identifying in some way then like why would anyone choose to struggle choose to suffer Mm -hmm. um and it paints this like such a negativity and at the same time and this is what i really wanted to tie into this story the image of queerness that we present to the world in like advertisements in mass media of either, like, the sassy gay friend or, like, the nice older white lesbian couple who take their daughter to the grocery store Mm -hmm. and then slurs are hurled at them, but it doesn't matter because family is strongest. Like, this weird safeness and guaranteed suffering that I think does such a disservice to, like, my queer experience, at least. Like, I have found such joy in it, and I really liked that Carmen, at least, is very imperfect. She's angry at the world. She is confused. She's impulsive. She's scared. And I really like that she gets to be all of those things. I mean, I think it's also just, like, a marker of good writing in anything ever when you feel like people are people and they're Mm. not their identities first. And I love that she can be an angry and scared person and at the same time, like, then go on a date or right like, and yeah. you know still be heroic yeah despite all of that we don't i don't know that we get a lot of heroes in our community <laughs> and there's certainly not a lot of you know anti-heroes or complex heroes mm-hmm. 
um, in the community. So it's it's cool to see that, and it's interesting to listen through and almost like play through the piece and and embody some of those characters and look at their decisions from multiple directions. And it's interesting because I think Mariko is also a sort of opaque character. Right. And which she... is interesting because she's also the character through which we see everything. Mm-hmm. I guess there's also a lot to unpack there of like, okay, how much are we actually seeing of what's really happening? Like because we're seeing everything through, I mean, an un- unreliable narrator in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like you don't really feel like she's unreliable. True. Like she's very sort of upfront about like okay this is how i feel about these things she's very blunt yes but but i wouldn't see wouldn't say she's very forthcoming (laughs) yeah exactly and she also tries pretty hard to stay away from other people she tries pretty hard to not build Mm. relationships or at least she says she does that's true she's also what 16 I sort of saw her as like 17, 18 around there. 17, 18. So still still figuring out how to be a human. Yes. You, know, how, you don't think that's the time when you have the clearest and most objective view of the <laughs> happenings around you? I am a high school teacher, so no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. In that vein, too, I think that that's why I love the audio kind of genre for this. Because it feels a lot of times with with audio storytelling that you're sitting with a friend who's telling you their version of events. Mm. And I love that because if you're especially with you're with a friend you like and they're telling you and sometimes you're like, well, I don't know if that's (laughs) actually true, but like I'm here for it and I'm listening (laughs) and I'm invested and I'm excited in your version Mm -hmm, of these events. mm -hmm. You don't always need the objective version, I don't think. Right. Maybe I'm just here for the chisme. Um, something else, uh, mm-hmm. that I wanted to touch on audio format and mm-hmm. how something can be intimate in that way. Like you were saying, like it's a conversation with your friend. It, I think we rely a lot more on what we hear mm-hmm. than we think we do. And when you, when you take away the visual aspect, you're forced to attend to little catches in someone's voice. You're forced to attend to background music which nicole Mm -hmm. puts in right you're forced to attend to the little like rustlings which someone adds to an audio track and and i think it it lends itself to horror and it lends itself to narrative in an interesting way and i was i was wondering why you chose to sort of convert this into an audio play from when it was originally a screenplay uh well i mean first of all this was never really a screenplay i mean there there were some i'm i mean for the audience, um, I s- sort of started off in, in screenplay writing and then jumped back over to prose, which I hadn't really written since high school. Um, and then, so, Carmen Deer sort of started off as like a prose piece, um, but then through work with Monsters Out of the Closet, we sort of converted it into a piece that was a little more friendly for audio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do really enjoy the audio format. It's not a format that I've really worked with very much at all. Um, so I sort of went into it with the mindset of, oh, this is prose, but read aloud. And then actually it's not that at all. There's different, a lot of different things like sound cues and atmospherics that go into audio that you can't really do in writing. Mm-hmm. But I think audio is sort of seeing uh, a rise. Like everyone and their mother has a podcast. Nowadays. <laughs> um, and you have even shows like 
Doctor Who are getting into, well, they've been in the audio business for a mm-hmm, while. Mm-hmm. And, like... Like Marvel put out a Wolverine yeah. podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, it's on the rise. And I think that a lot of people are going to be looking into audio as a form of storytelling, much like it was, like, back before there was television. Like right, the, the, right. Oral like, storytelling. Yeah, like the War of the Worlds by um, Orson Welles, what was it, that, that caused the mass panic, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think it's interesting that, like, this is a very old form of, of storytelling. On, stretching back even to, like, Homer's time, if you really want to go there, mm-hmm. like, bards mm-hmm. sitting in a cafe or a tavern with like a, a cafe. <laughs> yeah. yep. I'm imagining all these bars, yeah. the coffee bean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Latte for Hammer. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in a way, audio telling is the oldest form of storytelling because before people could write, they could speak. Um, and I think it's really interesting how it's evolved. Um, and now like we can listen to three brothers living in a city miles away from us talking about their Dungeons and Dragons characters, for <laughs> mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. Um, and no one thinks that's weird. So I'm sure some people think Absolutely that's weird. Absolutely, no one. <laughs> it's totally normal. So, I mean, everyone thinks something's weird. So. <laughs> Fair enough, Nicole. What do you think about sort of audio as a oh yeah as a format, just you know, for creative fiction and for for creative production? Yeah. So this was kind of one of my first forays into VO stuff at all. And it was really fascinating for me because first off, if you've listened to the story, this may have been a confusing interview because Carmen is quite a bit lower than my actual voice. I'm I'm pretty far up here at this point. I'm going to take a a quick second here to commend Nicole and Christine on on their their brilliant work. I don't think I could have gotten anyone better. Oh, wow. We're currently <laughs> showering so her with flower bouquets, yes. just to, oh, to add some color commentary. There are rose petals yeah. everywhere. And yeah, my glasses off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Audio. Uh, <laughs> acting. <laughs> but yeah, I think for me it was so cool because there were points where we would be recording and I would read a line and Ari would be like, wait, that's not exactly how I envisioned hearing that. Mm-hmm. And either like do that again this way or actually I like that. And it's like being able to uncover things about the story that we didn't even know were there until it started to come out out mm-hmm. loud. And I loved that. And I loved being able to sit and, and take a line three different ways and figure out which one felt the best. And like you said, in audio, people are listening. And so there's so much care when it comes to like your breathing even and, and the way that you're emphasizing certain words. It was really cool to be able to really focus on that in a way that I don't think we get to very often just day to day when we're talking to people. I'm not usually thinking too deeply about my inflections, um, not consciously at least. So I think that that's, it's cool and it adds another element of familiarity and relatability because people's voices are, are the way, maybe not so much nowadays, but traditionally the way that we really connect to each other because there's not a whole lot of other pathways from your mind to other people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it is something you know a little ancient right and so i think it gets to us somewhere in our subconscious if we hear something rather than if we see it and you know as a teacher i know that showing my my students something you know helps right but so many of them even if it's some science concept 
will say, oh, that's faked. Oh, you can do anything with mm-hmm. video editing. But mm-hmm. somehow they never, they never think that about sound clips and sound editing. It, it, it gets to the heart of you in some way. Um, which is why I'm here, and mm. which is, I guess, why you guys are here, <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. Um, so final question is, mm. what is next? I know, Ari, that you're writing. Nicole is also writing something for hey. us, but no spoilers. Um, <laughs> but other than that, yeah. what is what is next as a creative? So um, I've been, I don't think this is a secret to either of you two, but I've been working on a sequel to Carmen Deer, um, which I do intend to produce either with... Uh, monsters out of the closet if they're if they'll have me or um on my own i suppose um and i mean i do have ideas for continuing this story even beyond that like i have sort of drafted like a six volume or a six chapter first volume i guess quote unquote um continuing the adventures of carmen and mariko and all the wacky things they get into um i Outside of that, like I'm still working on screenplays um, that I hope to produce at some point. Um, that'd be nice. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, you're in Los Angeles. That's if there's true. any place you're gonna get stuff produced, it's here. I guess so. Nicole. Yeah. So for voice things, um, in the time since I recorded Carmen Deer to now. Um, I was in a limited run audio drama called Nina's Story, so that's out now. Go find that on Spotify or other places you listen to things. I listen on Spotify when I can because uh, I like it. But yeah, so that happened. Um, I will hopefully continue with Carmen Deer. Uh, unless you hear a drastic change <laughs> in her voice in the future, then you'll know that either I have become a much more interesting actor or I've been booted. <laughs> Uh, yeah and then just a couple like auditions out we'll see what comes of that it's been fun to sort of explore that world um in terms of writing i have a story i'm working on with monsters out of the closet which is very exciting um kind of my first foray into horror so i'm ready to uh mark it up a bunch and make it scary for you all um aside from that it's national novel writing month so working on (laughs) a book which happens. Um, I have what, a poem coming out in UCLA's literary magazine, I think this month. Um, it is from when I was a student and it got pushed. So now I'm like not a student, but I have a poem coming out in that. So that'll be cool, fun. Cool, cool. Yeah. Um, I think that's mostly it. Just uh, bits and bobs here and there. Cool, cool, cool. If we get any information, like websites or links for any of these projects, they will be up on our website at the same link where you can find this interview. Um, but other than that, I think we're at a pretty good stopping point. Thank you so much, Ari and Nicole, for coming in to yeah, be interviewed. Yeah. Sit on my apartment floor <laughs> and be recorded. Um, the next thing coming down the pipeline for us at Monsters is probably going to be our December episode, Darkness which is also going to have a fantastic audio play. So look out for that. Otherwise, Monsters out.